I want to talk about um, I want to talk about building, and we haven't put concrete a theme this month, but uh, we are going to talk about building and authoring and cultivating. We're going to talk about these things, and we're gonna we're gonna focus on a, a lot of the ways that we see Jesus build and we see Jesus grow uh, things, and it's one of my favorite. Um, so one of my favorite things to do, really, is to take something that is a part of our lives and to really look into the heart of Jesus and to the life of Jesus and see what his heart looks like on it, see what his mind looks like on it, and to really create that transformation so that we look and act and talk and feel and walk like him. How many of you guys want to be like Jesus in this place? Cool. Awesome. Uh, there is a lot of significance about the things that we will build. But at the forefront of all of the things that we're gonna focus on doing and creating together, um, I believe there needs to be this foundational perspective uh, that we are about Jesus, we are for Jesus, uh, and we are focused on Jesus. And uh, this is something I wanna say a couple things about the foundation of our community. Uh, I've communicated it in a sense before, but I want to reiterate it because when it comes to building, there is a real possibility that this community uh, needs to focus on of building the kingdom of God. And there, there is a difference, and we're going to read a scripture here, but there is a difference between building the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of man. And that there's also a difference between building the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of a church organization. And there are some distinct differences that we've got to observe and we've got to see and understand because we're gonna talk about building, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to build and what our priorities of building should be. But what we must understand is that there are two frameworks of building. There is the self-building mechanics or the selfish building mechanics. And then there are the God-building mechanics and or motivations that we observe in community that we observe in business, that we observe in different things, there are definitely two ways to build. There is a self-oriented way to build and there is a God-oriented way to build. The question is, what does everything orbit? Uh, you know, we orbit the sun, so the sun dictates the gravity and the orbit of the earth, and so we orbit the sun. And the same question must be asked of our efforts of building. Do we orbit Jesus or do we ask Jesus to orbit us? All right, awesome, cool. I know you're with me. So Genesis 11:4 says this perfect scripture, I think, for this. And it says, and this is talking, talking about the Tower of Babel. And it said, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And you can see right here, that the initiative and the motive of this building aspect and pursuit was one of selfishness. It was one to create a great name for themselves. And man, far be it from us that this church becomes really good at building a name for itself. I prayed a few months ago, or maybe it was even a year ago now, to be quite honest, when I say, you know, a few months ago, it actually might have been a year ago, Time feels like it goes really fast. Did you ever notice this? And when you preach in, a lot of times timelines are like, they mesh between 30 to 70, 80% of what, you ever, all right, just 
Never take it too literally. <laughs> so if I say last week, it could have been last month. I don't know. Who knows? I got four kids. Give me a break, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I, I was praying about this because there's a way to build like this church as an organization, as a brand. Any church growth things, they'll point to you know, marketing, and they'll point to brand recognition and awareness and logos and, and phrases and mission statements. Uh, and they'll point to all these ways that you should craft things uh, so you're attractive and you, you build, uh, you know, a big church and stuff. And so I was praying about this maybe a year ago now, and I was like, well, God, what do you want me to do about this? You know, we were growing and stuff, and there's all these growth metrics for what you should do and stuff. And I really felt really clearly like he said, you know, I don't want you to make your name famous or your church name famous. I want you to work on making my name famous. I was like, okay, yeah, I like that. He's like, yeah, be loud about me, not about you and who you think you guys are. I was like, I really like that. And so it brings me to this understanding that there is a real way to appear to be building the kingdom of God but just be building your own kingdom. And there is a possibility. I'm sure we've observed it at different times. And there is this conscious effort we must make to commit ourselves to actually making the name of Jesus famous, not the name of whatever we're doing famous or prosperous. And now, pragmatically, this church has a name, right? The Mountain Church. And pragmatically, there's a certain DNA or there's a certain place we visit, right? Like the building's not sacred, but you know, we, we gather in this place, you know, and there's these bulb lights and you know, it's got a certain feel and a certain vibe, right? So, you know, maybe one day we move, maybe one day we buy land and build something else, but at the end of the day, the building's not sacred at all. It can feel that way because we gather and we have a certain experience together and we encounter God together in a place. So we build what's called an association with the physical space and it pairs with our experience. But the reality is, is the only thing that mattered in all the equation wasn't the building, it was God and the people together. You guys tracking with me? So what's really, really sacred to this place is a group of people coming together and building a love for God and a love for people. Because in all of the things that we attempt to build, businesses, buildings, ministries, nonprofit, this, that, the others, and investments, and all of these things, they're all simply tools and simply assets to the body of Christ to cultivate the things that actually matter. Because there's things that actually matter. And the things that actually matter are God and us in relationship with God. And everything else, everything else must serve the advancement of those things. This table, this iPad, the, the lights in the room, the way the lobby is, or the tables in the lobby, whatever print we do, whatever home groups we do, all of these things, they should be tools in the hand of God to cultivate a greater intimacy with him, a greater set and group of disciples, like are we actually disciples or are we just building a crowd? Because there's a great big difference between a crowd and a group of disciples. And you saw it with the people that were following Jesus. Some of them were his disciples 
And some of them were just a fan of the fact people could start walking or seeing. And they weren't quite disciples as much as they were followers in the crowd and in the mass. And you see the difference when Jesus talks about things like communion. There's a real distinct break between the crowd and a disciple when Jesus brings up intimacy on that level of blood and body. But when you look at these things and when you see it in the Bible, there are real, real substantial, significant moments where you see biblical characters or biblical communities that tried to make a name for themselves. They tried to make their name great. They tried to make their community great or their way of doing things great. And all the while, what God is looking for is a people that are seeking to make him great. And all the while, he's looking for a people that are seeking to make him great in themselves and in others. Because the bottom line here is this, is that our primary building goal should be to build people. Not buildings, not ministries, not infrastructures. Those things are tools for what should be the primary goal in relationship with God as far as building is concerned, and it's to build great, great people with God. That's my goal. That's our goal here at the mountain. It's not to build a building or to build this, that, or the other, or to build a, cool, a cooler stage setup. Although that's just so much fun, right? You guys ever like do stage design? It's so much fun. You could find yourself getting caught up in stage design and bulb lights. And at one point I wanted to have neon lights that said, love Jesus and love people. And I wanted it for like two years and then I gave up. <laughs> because it's really hard to find it for a, a not ridiculous price point. And then there's this slight problem that neon lights are, they're kind of loud, they hum, or they're kind of bright and they're harsh on the eyes. So it was a good idea up here, but in practice it probably wasn't so great. So in Ephesians 2, because we gotta look at what it looks like to actually build like God. In Ephesians 2 it says, uh, and it starts in verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this because it gives a really accurate, clear picture of how God feels about us and how God efforts to work in our life. Like we are his workmanship. Like highlight and recognize that phrase because it's so important. Oftentimes we get insecure when we're an unfinished product, right? We're like, oh, I don't want people to see me in my unfinished product phase of this thing, you know? Or we get a creative idea and we don't want anybody to see it until we feel like it's really fleshed out. And so in our relationship with God, sometimes we have this arrogance where we, we're not comfortable with the humility it takes to just be a lump of clay on the table, unfinished, imperfected, not yet reformed, in the process still, kind of messy, might have half chains, might have like your right arm out of the chains and your left arm still kind of like tied in there. Have you ever felt like this? Like you're like, I think I'm free. <laughs> but I haven't moved in like six months, so maybe not. <clears throat> the reality is, is that there is a humility that comes in us going, yeah, yeah, I'm actually his workmanship. And I'm continually being reformed and being redeemed in my nature. I'm continually having my character shaped and molded by God. And that's really exciting because then it informs you of how you ought to think about your own growth pattern and not to be ashamed of where you're at, like you're at where you're at. And it's okay if it's not as good as you think it should be 
or as good as it was, you know what I mean? Or as good as maybe, you know, that really good Christian appears to be. The unique thing about you, your perspective of your own life, is you see the worst of it. But you really actually rarely see the worst of people around you. You ever notice that? Like that all-star Christian you see at church? Do you actually know that person's life? Do you know why they appear to be a great worshiper example? It might not be because they got it all together. It might be because that's how they get through the junk, is they worship hard. And they lay their hands up in the air because they're like, I need to surrender. <laughs> and maybe they're crying not because they're so close to God, but because they're repenting again for the same thing and they're heartbroken that they can't figure it out. We got to be really careful not embracing the fullness of what this humble partnership with God looks like. That we are his workmanship and he is stoked to be working on us. Uh, last Christmas, my daughter Brightly, uh, I made something with her with a friend from the community, Scott. And uh, I like working on stuff. I like putting my hands on like doing carpentry and doing mechanical and all this kind of stuff. I'm not very good at any of it, to be quite honest. Um, I didn't grow up doing it. Grew up playing sports and doing other things. Um, and then my dad was good at those things and taught me those things and he taught me other great things, but he never really did anything uh, as far as carpentry and mechanical. And then, so I didn't learn those things with my dad or anything like that. And so I've been developing these things over the last, you know, five or six years. I've been excited about it. I like doing it, I like creating things with my hands. It's so fun. So all of a sudden I, I, we go to make her this thing, right? It's a Oi, oi, uh, it's a dresser, you know? But it's like a, a fancy looking one. It had like scallop trimming on it. You know what scallop trimming is? It like goes like that. <laughs> Very technical terms here. And it was, we, we, we put it all together, right? So I, in the garage, then we brought it over to, but it's scallop trimming on it. And it was so she could put all her princess dresses in it. It was her princess dresser wardrobe thing. And it had a spot that we made for her shoes to go in. And it was so exciting. You know, I got this raw material and this raw wood and the raw screws all sitting there. And it was so exciting to put my hands to it and make something beautiful out of the raw materials, you know? And all of a sudden I got to give it to Brightly and I was so excited because it had this gold bar on the back and we put it in there. We had the room all done up and her princess stuff in there. And I was so excited to work on something for her. And I really believe like this is Father's heart when it comes to us. He's stoked to work on us. He's stoked to take these ashes and make them beautiful. He's stoked to take someone who's found in their place of brokenness and bondage and create freedom and transform this lump of clay into something beautifully formed and shaped with great intentionality. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of Father in building. He's stoked by the rawness that he gets you in. It says God is close to the brokenhearted. You know why he's close to them? Because he's excited to mend their hearts. When God sees a broken heart, he's like, ugh, get away from me. I don't even know you, man. You're broken. I can't be associated with your brokenness. I'm God. You're broken. Those things aren't friends. He doesn't say that. He sees broken hearts. He's like, 
here we go. I'm moving close. Let's do this. I'm moving close. This is, this is what it looks like even with our partnership with people. Like, are you building people? Because what is not the Christian life is to just build yourself and that's it. It's actually very much not biblical at all for us to just focus on our own individual life. 100% what is a fulfillment of walking with Jesus is to actually build in others a perspective and a faith in Jesus. This is absolutely 100% unequivocally a standard in the Bible, a lifestyle expression that when you walk with Jesus, it causes you to love others to the point that you partner in the workmanship that he is doing in their life. So it's really quite simple. You embrace the humility it takes for him to work on you and you to be his workmanship and then you get super stoked by it. You're like, woo, this is awesome. And you start to do something really amazing and interesting in the walk with Jesus. You start to recognize how God moves. This is super important. You start to recognize how he puts his hands on you and how he shapes you. In a sense, you start to recognize his workmanship. So what it causes you to do is it causes you to see people that are in the middle of the process of being his workmanship. It causes you to see people in a way you're like, oh, I see what he's doing. That's super cool. And yeah, it's kind of in a raw form right now. It's just lumber and nails and screws. And maybe he even got put together all kind of weird. <laughs> but I know what God is efforting to do in their life. And you know what? I even think I can help. I even think that perhaps even if it's just being, being there with them, I think I can help in this workmanship. And even if I don't know what to do, I don't think I have anything to offer, ask God. You know what's really amazing about God is he gives you things to give to other people. So if you think you have nothing to offer, that's cool, God will give you something to offer. Isn't that amazing about God? Is he gives you things to give to others. So if you're poor, I'm talking poor in emotion, poor in influence, poor in finance, poor in every way, it's all good. Your father in heaven is wealthy in every regard. And he's excited to give things to you. It's, I mean, it's in the Bible. It is clear. I mean, we could take hours and hours and I could prove to you and show you that God wants to give you things, but I actually think you believe me, right? So it doesn't matter if you've got nothing to offer. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're just kind of like a dejected, broken thing. It's part of the journey with God that he works on you and he creates something beautiful and he leads you to partner with others in the same way. Because the point of all of this is that God is transforming us and we're partnering in the transformation that others are going through with God. And we gotta get past this thing where we're ashamed of where we're at. We gotta get past it, guys. We are where we're at. Maybe we think we should be further along. You know what that is? That's just self-judgment. That's the, that's the voice of the accuser, the enemy, that wants to persuade you and convince you that even God's power is ineffective in your life. Too often I see people look back at the glory days of their spirituality and go, I just wish I could get back there. 
No, don't try and get back to some kind of expression that you thought was good. That's you trying to literally go back in time. That's not the pursuit of God. God is literally present with you right now. Don't try and obtain, obtain a form of yesterday that you had. Try and obtain a form that Jesus has today. Does this make sense? There's a big distinct difference between trying to capture glory and trying to capture Jesus. Leave it behind. Good, bad, or indifferent. God is doing a new thing. And it's beautiful. It's not out of the context of that because if you're like this, he's going to ask you to let go. Let go of the thing. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how many people you healed or what financial testimonies happened in that time or season. I don't care how big your ministry grew. I don't care what the highlight reel was. I promise you that his glory goes from glory to glory to glory. And it doesn't look like just regurgitating and repeating your past history's highlight reel. Isn't that boring? Doesn't that seem boring to just go, I guess the rest of my life is just trying to recapture the glory days. There is no such thing as the glory days when you give your life to Jesus. The only glory that matters is the glory of Jesus. So whatever glory he expressed in your life back then, that wasn't really an asset or an attribution to you. That was always to Jesus in the first place. The most stressful times in this community for me as a pastor is when I forget that I'm not the one building it and bringing people. This is the most stressful times. When I start to feel all stressed out, like, oh, what do I do? I've taken on way more responsibility for building the body of Christ than I ever should have. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The reality is, is that we have these odd measurements and judgments for ourselves on whether or not we are doing the right thing with Jesus. And typically we expect ourselves to produce something in building that God doesn't promise to build. He just doesn't really promise to build crowds. It's really quite interesting. We have this discipleship formula that numbers are the great judge for whether we've discipled well. Oftentimes the opposite is true, guys. Like when we gather a small group, we start to think it's a successful discipleship model if it grows numerically. The funny thing is, is that you can have a crowd and no disciples. You can grow your group and you can have this fancy kind of communication technique and you can even have like really great follow-up, but man, that could be very possible that there are no disciples being made in that process. So all of a sudden, what is the evidence of discipleship? It's a life partnering with another life in growth and transformation. The true measurement of whether or not we are disciples is not an increase in numbers, but an increase in transformation. The true measure for whether or not we are building accurately and appropriately is are we looking, sounding, and actually more like Christ every week, every day. That's the real measurement. It's not how many people are in the place. It's not the, the music or the lights or the building. It's not the infrastructure. It's, it's really a true symbol. It's a true symbol of discipleship when our lives look like Jesus. 
and when the process we have in community creates lives that look more like Jesus. And the question for you to ask is, are you discipling people? The question for you to ask is, are you building Jesus in others? This is the real building foundation of everything, right? And we're going to read a scripture here in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 that I think is really significant, meaningful for this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. Again, this is Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. To be honest, Ephesians is a really great church culture book. Like, If you want to know what the church ought to look like as a full thing, Ephesians is great. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Okay, there's a lot, a lot, a lot that was said in here that's really important for this. The first thing is that we are members of his household. Members of his household. I want to make this point. I've made it before. But we oftentimes think of ourselves as a product of our family, which basically is saying that we are members or we have membership qualities of like my last name is Goulet. So my dad was Paul Goulet. My grandfather was Bernard Goulet. There's one on the other side too, Roger. I have both of their names, Bernard and Roger. Uh, I don't want to say the last name of Roger. It's too French for me. But um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's this idea that we are, like I'm a Goulet, right? So we even say things like that at different times. But we've got to understand this idea of how we identify ourselves first and foremost, ought to come from the house of God, and then everything else follows in alignment with that. Meaning I should, and you should, as a follower of Jesus, see ourselves as members of the household of Jesus, more so than members of the household of Goulet. And that has major lifestyle implications. That's great news for some of us that came from broken families, and it's maybe complicated or confusing news for those of us that came from good families. And it's not to say we don't honor the things that are good or the people that raised us. It's to say that our priority of formation comes from the house of God, not the house of the humans and our parents or our fathers that raised us here on earth. Does that make sense? You guys following with me? Okay, sons and daughters of the living God first. Sons and daughters of the living God first. So we are members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, pastors, teachers, evangelists, all these folks, they matter. They are a part of, and it's okay if they're a part of your foundation of growth. But in no way, shape, or form should they ever be your primary foundation piece for growth in Jesus. But that in all things, your primary foundation, your chief cornerstone, the very primary aspect of what is the unshakable ground you stand on ought to be and should be Jesus. Which means you ought to actually know Jesus. Like, what I hope doesn't happen is that we build a knowledge of Jesus here and not an actual knowing Jesus relationship. Because I can disseminate information about Jesus 
And, 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 and that's different than actually introducing you or making a bunch of introductions to Jesus. Like you and your relationship, you and your walk in your life, you ought to have your own relationship with Jesus. And it ought to be real and living where you like actually talk to him and hear from him. Right? Like this is the goal. That in a discipleship format, like and in a prayer format, in a church format, that I'm actually introducing you to Jesus so you can walk with him. Sure, I could be a part of it and like some of the teachings that we do about Jesus and some of the doctrine and theology, it'll be a part of your foundation of understanding God and walking with God. But chief amongst all of it and what brings context to everything is an actual relationship with Jesus. It's really hard to live for Jesus without actually being in relationship with Jesus. It's really hard. And sometimes we talk about the idea of Jesus, but we don't actually make Jesus introductions. Like when you and I are seeking to build others' lives, introduce them to Jesus. And I mean really introduce them to Jesus. Like if they're like, I don't know Jesus, be like, right now I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. Do you want to meet Jesus? They're like, sure. All right, let me pray for you. And then you pray for them, and in that actual moment, you pray that they actually meet Jesus, and their spirit and their soul actually meets Jesus. I remember this one time I prayed for somebody, and you could just, just they meant Jesus. You know, you, you know, as you see, your spirit discerns and all these cool things, right? Look, I prayed for the person, and they had tears. And I'm like, okay, did you feel that? They're like, yes. I was like, okay, you just met Jesus. That, that wasn't me, right? I prayed for you to meet Jesus. I prayed for you to encounter my God, the one who saved my soul, the one who lives inside of me, and I can give you Jesus. It's the beauty of being an ambassador. It's the beauty of being this father in and father through is that we can actually give people Jesus. Isn't that cool? We can share Jesus with people. We can pray and they can encounter the spirit of God in that moment. Isn't that fun? And it's, I know it can sound, sometimes it can be weird when we don't do it like relationally with people. Like have you ever seen somebody that just like went up and prayed for somebody and they didn't even ask for it like on the street? It can get strange, man, because they're like, whoa, what, am I being robbed? <laughs> What's happening right now, you know? And it's like, you don't have to actually be, like, socially awkward to give Jesus to somebody. You can shake their hands and say, hey, nice to meet you. And then you can start talking. And then you can say, hey, can I pray for you? I love Jesus. He's changed my life. Can I literally pray for you and introduce you to Jesus right now? And so many times they're like, especially if you can kind of tell, they say yes, and it's cool. It's like, yeah, it's like, that's awesome. You know, but I didn't have to just like, start just like laying hands on them and just like shaking their head. Let's get this thing done before they know what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, you met Jesus right there. He was a bully, I guess. I don't know. He gave you no choice. The beauty of Jesus and all of this and sharing Jesus is that we've approached people in the way Jesus would approach people. Which, if you look at Jesus, he gave people choice. I know it's tempting to take away people's choice because they'll make bad choices sometimes, like not wanting Jesus. But that is a violation of free will that even God will not do. 
Are you guys tracking with me right now? We must respect, we must honor people's free will to choose. Present to them the Jesus you know and love and invite them to receive him. And if they say no, love them all the same. Love them all the same. It's okay. They get that choice. Because Jesus is a chief cornerstone. I'm not introducing them to the DNA of a church. I'm not even really introducing them to a church. I'm introducing them to Jesus. Like, you can invite them to this church, and you will, and you'll love it, and, and you love the church, so you want to invite them, all those great things. But look, don't wait to tell somebody about Jesus once they get in church. Tell them about Jesus from your own life, too. You know, there's a statistic out there they've done that a majority of people that get saved got saved because a person shared Jesus with them, not a church organization. It is in the one-on-one -on -one witness that somebody says, Jesus changed my life, let me tell you about my Jesus. Jesus loves me, let me tell you about my Jesus. He loves you too. Sometimes we wait to see if somebody will get saved to bring them to church. And hopefully pastor did an altar call that day for salvation. That's not a biblical practice. You know, introduce him to Jesus. He's in your home. He's at your work. He's where you are. You don't have to bring him to church for them to meet Jesus. He's inside you. He lives inside you. You have access to give him to somebody. And yeah, I, I like being a, an influence and impact and maybe I communicate it better or somebody else communicates it better. That's fine. I'm not saying that this isn't an asset to people meeting Jesus. I'm just saying, do not overlook your role in communicating and testifying and witnessing about how good Jesus is. Do not undermine your ability to share Jesus with somebody. Sometimes we discount ourselves. We go, I got nothing. I'm jacked up. How can I give someone Jesus? You can give Jesus to somebody even when you're jacked up. Because Jesus exists apart from your jacked upness. He's not deluded by your jacked upness. You know what I mean? He's not diminished or disqualified by his Jesusness because you are not him. If anyone's sharing a gospel that requires them to be exactly Jesus in order for them to give Jesus, they don't have the same gospel that I have. Because the gospel I have says that I receive salvation by grace through faith. That doesn't mean that I receive salvation by perfect works of which I accomplished and now I am qualified and certified to share Jesus. No, it's always been broken vessels sharing Jesus, giving Jesus, saying, hey, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. Isn't that cool? I love it. You don't have to be at a certain place to share Jesus. You really don't. Yeah, maybe somebody will have said you need to be at a certain place to be a leader in a church. That's fine. That's protecting the community. That's a standard of leadership. We're not talking about the same thing, though. We're not talking about whether or not you are qualified to be a leader and trusted on a platform or a microphone. We're talking about are you qualified to tell somebody about how good Jesus is? and how he is, your, he, he is your savior and theirs as well, and he died for their sins and your sins. Like, that doesn't take certification to share. That doesn't take a certain life lived to share. If anything, the entire work of the gospel 
is about God sending his son to die for imperfect, covenant-breaking sinners full of death spiritually. God sent his son to die for those people, both in the past, present, and future. If anything, the very story of God is about him doing a loving thing for imperfect people. So how would that disqualify imperfect people from communicating about that God? It might actually qualify you more. All right. So the next thing and the last thing on this that I think is really important is it goes, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I like this because it, it points to and it, it really confronts individualistic island Christian thinking. It is not the intent or the design of God for us to live our lives alone in isolation. It literally says being fit together. And I know sometimes we feel like we don't fit with some other people. It's process of Jesus in our life that causes us to be fit together. Because for sure, in our current form, without transformation in God, we're divided. We're like a broken puzzle piece that has all the puzzle pieces missing. And we're just like, it just doesn't fit. I bought my kids puzzles because I like doing them with them, but I quickly realized that with kids six and under, you do the puzzle once and never again. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you have to do like a Star Wars slash PJ Mask puzzle mixed in with a little bit of like, I don't know, it's crazy. But this thing is, it, Jesus fits it together. He causes it to fit together, and it's part of the design of transformation, discipleship, that as we're transformed by him, he literally mends us and fits us together. Like, I think a lot of times we think, I am the temple of God. And it's true, but the full picture is that you are the temple of God in the context with everyone around you. Meaning what it just said there, built together for a dwelling place. So I can't just stand over here and go, oh, Jesus, I'm a good temple for you and have no relationship, have no commitment to people in relationship or love. And I stand in isolation and I say, I am your dwelling place because it, it absolutely is confronted by this. No, 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 no. He builds his temple in a together way. He builds his temple in community. So yes, we as a people, as Christians are the temple of God but not in isolation, not in an ego, arrogant, prideful, isolated way, and definitely not in this way. And, I, and I've heard this a lot, and I've talked about this a lot. Look, we're not going to be able to accomplish a perfectly safe relationship ever. It doesn't exist. And I know we strive for it, we desire for it, we try and build trust mechanics for it and all these different things. You'll never find a relationship that doesn't have the risk of pain, hurt, rejection, or some kind of risk in it. It just doesn't exist. I got a wife, she's extraordinary. I mess up sometimes, I hurt her feelings. Sometimes I'm not safe. And we repair it, we confess, we reconcile, we pray Jesus on it, but, but the reality is, as great as I am for my wife and as she is for me, we're not perfectly safe for one another. 
there's moments where we're dangerous to one another, right? Any relationship, they've got risk. They've got dangerous things said. The tongue is like, read James. It burns cities down, man. You just, you're like, whoa, that flooded out of my mouth. Whoa, I didn't know I thought that. <laughs> Yikes, woof. <laughs> Bless his girlfriend, but you get in this place where it's like, you're like, I want it to be safe. It needs to be safe. This is painful. This is hurtful. Look, God didn't paint a picture of no risk relationship. You know what he introduced in the community to repair it? Generous and lavish forgiveness. When Peter asked him, hey, how many times do I forgive? Seven, seven, just a lot. Like the, the recipe for repair is forgive a lot. You're not going to get a perfect relationship that isn't, that is devoid of risk. You're always going to have risk in relationship. The problem is, is when we build a justification for island living. And I'm not talking Hawaii. I love Hawaii. I, island living all in my soul. Ukulele, flip-flops in winter. I'm all about it for real, for sure. I'm talking about isolated, independent living that is disconnected from everyone for some kind of justification. Like people are just jacked up, man. I don't need to be a part of a church community. I can have a relationship with God on my own. You can definitely have relationship with God direct. You don't need a church or community to have a direct relationship with God. Let's be really clear about that. I am not your access point and no, neither is any other pastor, leader, prophet, evangelist, TV or otherwise, your access point to Jesus. For sure, 100%, everyone can have a direct relationship with God and does not need a church to do that. We clear on that? The full fruitfulness of a relationship with God finds us in community built together, knit together. So if you got a good relationship with God, it leads you to not be alone for at the very least reasons because you are moved to help people. You are moved to build people. You are moved to be close to the brokenhearted because guess what? That's where God is. So if at the very least you're not surrounded by a bunch of people who are brokenhearted, that you are ministering to their mended or mending and, and helping their broken heart, if you're not at the very least there, then you're probably not following Jesus. If you're alone, you're probably not following Jesus. If you have no one you're reaching out to, no one you are being reached out to by and accepting their reach outedness. If you in some way, shape, or form are not building or pursuing relationship with someone in some way, and you are in isolation and you have justified that life, that is not God's will over your life. It is biblical that he fits us together. He builds his dwelling place as a togetherness. For sure there are some people that are, are less safe than others. For sure we should find wisdom and we should measure trust based on those wise perspectives. So I'm not saying to only spend time with super dangerous people all the time. I'm just saying we'll never be able to create a scenario where our relationship or relationships are absolutely safe with no risk at all. And the reason we cannot 
pursue this and we cannot believe in this is because it's, it's a falsehood that's not built in the mechanics or the community of what Jesus intends. We can't build something that is like a bubble boy mentality of Christianity that isolates us in these foam rooms so we never get hurt, you know? That's just craziness. The design wasn't to try and control our environment so we never get hurt. The design was that we would always find refuge in Jesus no matter what environment we found ourselves in. Remember what it says in the Bible? You are my strong tower, my refuge in a time of need. It's cool, you always got a bubble no matter where you go. It's the heart of God. You find yourself hidden in Jesus, it's a beautiful spot. It's a beautiful spot and all of a sudden, like people can't get to your soul and can't get to your heart because it's hidden in Jesus. And all of a sudden you, you launch from Jesus' heart with Jesus to people that are brokenhearted. It's not hard for you to build people's lives. You see it and you're like, whoa, look at that. Jesus is moving towards it, so am I, because I'm following Jesus. It's been one of the hardest parts about 2020 for me is the social quarantining that happens when people are hurting. I had dear friends die and I couldn't see them or their family still. And they died in the middle of the year. Couldn't visit them, couldn't bring them stuff. Couldn't visit. It was the hardest thing in a spiritual walk not to be able to be present with people that were hurting. And still to this day, it's like, oh, this is the worst. I hate that part. You know, and I understand it, but it's still hard because of this. Because God moves towards things and it's important that we move with him. It's important that we understand that he's building people and he's building us and he's building people through us. Apostles and prophets are a part of the foundation. You're gonna be a part of somebody's foundation. Jesus is hopefully the chief cornerstone and hopefully you communicate that, communicate that. But the reality is, is you're a part of it too. And we get this opportunity to look around even this building. Just even if you just looked around this building and you went, okay, Jesus is working on everyone around me. How do I become a partner with Jesus in that work? You know what I mean? It's a super simple idea. What is that family over there? I wonder what Jesus is doing in their life. You begin to pray about it. And sometimes, I know it's not very spiritual, but you could also just ask them. You know what I mean? I love it when God shows me things that nobody else showed me, but I also, I'm, I'm cool to ask somebody what they need too. And sometimes people are aware of what God's building and they just need help. So ask them, hey, what's God building in your life? What's he doing? And then they tell you and you go, can I help? How can I help? Maybe they don't know. Maybe you ask God together. Maybe you ask another pastor, teacher, or wise person, how do you help somebody with this? I got a friend. How do you do this? I don't know how to do it. And you begin to partner with these things in a significant way, the same way Jesus is. 